What's going on, friends and fam? Thank you guys so much for watching Every Day is a Saturday with your host, me, myself, and I, Brian Roof. Hey, what's going on, guys? We got another great day, another great episode. I found my next guest on TikTok, and I said to myself, I need to get him on my show. He is an active duty United States Marine. He joined in 2005 and has been serving ever since. He has several combat deployments under his belt, and some stories and experiences lets me World's okayest gunny. Okay. Cool. What's going on, brother? Hey, man. Uh, not much. Just spent the the whole day um, hauling a bunch of magnolia wood around. Sheesh. All right. Well, getting ready to build that some a tape. boy. <laughs> yeah. PT. Oh, uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> For sure. All right, man. Well, hey, let's get to know. Uh, World's okay is gunning. Tell us about yourself. Why you joined the Marine Corps? You know how the Marine Corps is treating you, and what you got going on in the world today, man. Yeah, well, um, when I was a little kid, uh, my my grandfather used to take me and my cousins crabbing all the time, and uh, mostly because, in all reality, <clears throat> so. If you're under a certain age in the state of Washington, I think it's like 12, uh, you don't need a license and there's not a limit on the amount of crabs you can catch. Um, so he would take us and then set a bunch of, drop a bunch of nets off the dock. And if the game war never came by, he'd say, they're not mine. It's theirs. That way there wasn't a limit. And uh, he'd put them in a big rice bucket full of uh, rice wine or a big bucket full of rice wine. So they'd be drunk uh that way when they got cooked they didn't like realize they were being cooked and have an adrenaline rush so the meat stayed super tender and didn't get all hard on the ends anyways wow um <clears throat> he was talking to us and i think i was like eight maybe ten at the time and uh he said if there was a war in your lifetime and you didn't fight in it you were a coward um I joined the Marine Corps. Uh, most of my family are Marines, like all the way back. Um, my grandfather was in the Army. He did a couple tours in Vietnam. Um, and then as for my two cousins that were with me that day, uh, Brian joined the Air Force. He legitimately just retired. And um, Jeremy didn't join the military. Um, he became a college professor and <laughs> stuff like that. So um, anyways, so that's kind of the reason why I joined and most of my generation, if you think about it, um, guys that joined around that time frame after nine 11, like we, we watched it on TV. Yeah. Um, I, I remember when nine 11 happened. Um, I, I had the day off of school for some reason or something. And, uh, at a dental appointment and I was sitting in the pickup, and my mother had went into like the gas station to grab some drinks or something and it came on the radio and that's when i first heard it down pulled my cancels went home watched 9 11 on tv and hence um yeah i wanted to join like right out the gate um actually uh dropped out of high school got a ged and enlisted because i found out that was faster than uh graduating <laughs> So, <clears throat> uh, joined in 2005, went to boot camp, 
stayed boot camp a little longer than I expected to. Um, got pneumonia in first phase. So on the West Coast oh. at the, at the time, I know it's I think it's scheduled a little different now. But you did your first month down south in MCRD, and then you did your second month with the Crucible up north on Camp Pendleton. Yeah, um, that's when that's then, how I went through it. Yeah. And then you did your last month back at MCRD. Now somehow it's broken up differently, and like after the Crucible, you're a Marine, and there's Marine Week and all this stuff. We had yeah. the Crucible, and we were still recruits. So yeah, um, that just, that's what it was back then. Um, so, but I got pneumonia during first phase, had to go to the sick kid platoon, um, ran a PFT and passed it every day and they still wouldn't let me go back to training. So my company, I got dropped there to the sick kid platoon or, uh, whatever it's called MRP or something. Yeah. And my company went up North and then, uh, when I was finally cleared by the doctor to go back to training, um, I want to say it was Fox company because I was in Bravo and I went to Fox, I think, or Charlie and Fox. Uh, who cares? Anyways, um, they were like the drill instructor that was running that platoon said, you can go now or you can wait three weeks for them to catch up to where you were in training and then go. And I didn't want to stay in the sick kid platoon for three more weeks. So I went back and started at like like T day seven or eight all over again. So that was fun. Uh, but uh, my drill instructors, because I had completed the required training during that time, like used me for a lot of, well, let's just say mischievous activity. <laughs> you know, uh, um, get her done. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't do final drill. I, uh, I did ebop. I bounced when I walk. So, uh, uh, I think I may have been locked in a whiskey locker by accident, um, for final <laughs> drill. That's funny, right? Uh, yeah. Damn, dude. The Diddy Bopper, <laughs> but, huh? Yeah. 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 Can't, I mean, I can call cadence and whatnot, not like a drill interpreter can cause yeah, that's just not my thing. Anyways. Um, you know, 10 days leave SY West and caught up with everybody that I was with in my previous company in boot camp because they had just been sitting in Marines awaiting training at like at receiving. So ended up with the same group of dudes now from two different companies all going to train together at the same time at infantry training battalion SY West. So that was good. Like just catching up with all my boys because the entire class except for reservists all went to the same battalion which was uh, a very different experience because I was a combat instructor later. And so looking back on it, not the normal experience, you know, you clean the squad bay, you can't go back in, you know, you, you, they, you graduate, change into your alphas, and then like you get on a bus and leave to go check in. So we had graduated, changed into our alphas and, um, at the time, first Sergeant Kupchak, now retired Sergeant Major Kupchak, uh, back when he had two eyes in his face, um, showed up on the parade deck and told all of us to strip right now, get into your camis, grab your bags, blow open the back of the 710. 
So right there and back then, SOI West was a all male environment. All the families had left. So everybody stripped down their skivvy drawers, putting on their, on their camis, shoving their alphas, just cramming them into a sea bag, loading it all onto a truck. And they handed us flax and Kevlar's and we got in the back of the 710. And uh, so like the old school ones, like the, the, the tricolor, because it was the, the ones that the battalion had laying around for training or extra from supply or something. I don't know. But they drove us to Mainside to SIF, uh, to which is now IF, I-I-F. Anyways, and we got our full issue. No one's bag got marked as to who had what. Like, you got your full issue shoved into your sleeping bag and then tied off with duct tape or a zip tie and thrown on the back of the 710. Drove us up to uh, San Mateo, threw everyone's gear in one big pile. So nobody knows who has what. No one knows whose stuff is whose. They put us in a formation, have us drop the boots and utes, and just ran us in a formation all around San Mateo. And we checked in to S1 and... Back then, you checked into Seaburn and they issued your gas mask. We checked in everywhere. And then it was dark by the time we got back to um, the basketball courts. It was like in the middle of the quad of the, uh, the barracks. And we were getting assigned our barracks rooms. So we found out that the battalion was going on in 96. And they couldn't get off until we were checked in. So that is why all that happened. So we're sitting there getting ready to check in and I can see my NCOs like pacing the catwalk, just like big fucking shirtless dudes, like walking around <laughs> in like candy bombs, no shirts, covered in tattoos, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, like yelling at us. I'm like, oh, this is so bad. And yeah. some of these dudes are already fucking, and some of these dudes are combat probably dudes they, that already they, been on rotation. Several times they, over. They just it's 2005. Yeah, dude. Yeah. They, they just came back from Phantom Fury. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I was in from 2000 to 2004, so you got in right after me. But yeah, dude, like there was already the guys you were dealing with were fucking probably really, yeah. you know, some hard charging ass dudes. <laughs> exactly. And that, that was like the scariest part was that like yeah. all these, like even even the Lance corporals that were there, like you're seeing some salty war dogs already fucking corporals and Lance corporals that have fucking seen some yeah, shit. Like, even like the biggest shit bag in the platoon. Yeah. Had like done some heroic shit. Right. And, yeah. And so it's just like, like you're just brand new and you're looking at everybody you just watched on the news, you know? Uh, wow. Yeah. So, but that was fun. Uh, like Different check in, breed, got man. That's definitely wow. You definitely it. came yeah. in at a unique time. I don't think people yeah, we, kind we, of. I don't think people understand, kind of, like where, like how unique of a time you kind of came in. You know what I mean? For one, war already had gone on. For two, you're dealing with guys that are yeah. coming home. You know what I mean? Dealing with shit, lost dudes, fucking. <laughs> You know, I mean, here, here you guys are boots to them. Fucking, <laughs> you know, just. I mean, I mean, that that's why we're called Generation Kill, because. Yeah, we all, sure. we all joined for one reason, regardless yeah, right. of MOS. Yeah, regardless of MOS, regardless of branch of service, we yeah. all joined to serve our country during a time of war. So. Yep. 
Um, unique fucking generation right there. Yeah. But uh, so we got a 96, came back off the 96, went to 29 Palms, did CACs, <laughs> came back, got, uh, I think we got like two weeks of pre deployment leave. And they let all of us go in the hole because, you know, you come out of boot camp, you'd use 10 days, you haven't earned 10 days and whatnot. But actually, um, well, he's retired, so, you know. You know, back then, leave just were paper. And if you came back from leave and you didn't get arrested and you didn't get in any trouble, you came back on time, your leave chit never made it off for a sergeant's desk. You're good. You just save the days. Um, pre-deployment leave and then out. Just blur. Get on an airplane, go into Fallujah, landed in Kuwait for like a day. And then uh, I just... I know now that we landed at TQ, but it was just the middle of the night getting put on a seven ton, this big up armored armadillo sitting in the back. You had just gotten like your full combat load before you left the wire and we're heading to Camp Mercury, which is just west, southwest of uh, Camp Fallujah. Camp Fallujah was like the bigger base with the PX and the stuff. We were on the smaller shittier base with nothing. Fallujah was fucking crazy yeah. shit in 2003. I'm sure also they wanted us segregated from the general yeah. population. You know, guys that are going out to the wire every day patrolling, being out for two weeks at a time, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I just remember sitting in the back of the seven ton, you know, and they were like, stay sitting down no matter what happens. Do not shoot outside uh, you know, we're not stopping, even if we get shot at, like we're just pushing through. And like they already had, I'm sure they already had uh, Fran, which was the main street running to the city, like probably, probably already had like a, a fence picket set up, you know, for us, whatever. But it was just, it was nighttime. You could hear firefights happening in the distance. You could see tracers. And then we got to Camp Mercury, got thrown in some bunks and woke up the next morning and walked outside. And uh, my buddy Cook looked up, looked down, said, well, sky's blue. The ground's still where it's supposed to be. There's no three-headed dogs walking around. I think we're okay. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I was a mortarman by trade. Um, we got 0311 tacked on to our stuff, uh, like, in our MOLs because we had completed a couple training events that, like, that's all you needed to have both MOSs. And we were mobile assault platoon and mobile assault company, map company. It was basically cat and 81s put together. Uh, 81s and cat just merged and you were just different jobs. You were a gunner, you were a dismount, you were a driver, or you just changed it up as the truck needed to operate. And we were in the Zidon area, um, getting in firefights like every other day. And then recon took over that area. There's some documentary out there about it. I've never seen it, but apparently it was not good publicity. Um, and then we moved back into the city of Fallujah and then south, like the Boston Island intersection. Yeah. IDs every other day, concussions, that kind of stuff. Um, lost a few good guys on that deployment. Uh, 
Sergeant Major Kovchak, um, became the battalion sergeant major and uh, uh, lost an eye in an IED strike, uh, roadside uh, 155 shell in a white rice bag uh, remote debt. Um, took out uh, the gunner, which was my buddy Cheeks, and then the uh, the driver. I don't know his name off the top of my head. And Sergeant Major lost his eye. He went home early, and uh, he didn't crack open a beer until we got home. So he waited until the battalion got home to have a drink. We all came home, did that thing, turned right back around, and went back to Fallujah right again in 2006 through 2007. Um except for we are in Camp Baharia now instead of uh, Mercury because it got torn down or something, demilled. Um, that one wasn't as bad. The, the second deployment to Fuji wasn't as bad, uh, but they did pull us out of Baharia after a while. And uh, we set up like some fobs down along uh, the Boston Iron Intersection area because that was just a very heavily trafficked MSR for supply and just IED laden. There was some turns and curves in the road where you couldn't see the other sides. There was no way to maintain constant overwatch. So um, we're just constantly patrolling. Um, Yeah. Uh, We got left. Uh, Was that deployment or was the first one? Back up to the first deployment, my buddy Cook got left at a at a different fob kind of by accident but like the staff sergeant at the time like knew about it and said he'd be fine and tracks wouldn't give him a ride and, and tracks didn't give him a ride and yeah so, anyways oh shit it, 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 that's a that's a longer story but he ended up being fine like he had to run like what a couple a hundred meters situation though, like, dude. like a fob and they're like waving him down like what are you doing why are you by yourself and he's like they left me and then the battalion had to find him and stuff, you know. I mean, that deployment, the first one, we also, uh, like, had the Army shoot at us for, like, 30 minutes because they oh, thought fuck. we weren't Americans rolling in Humvees with Firefly IR strobes on our antennas. Anyways. Um, <laughs> the second deployment, me and a couple of my, they left, like, minimal guys back at the fog. And uh, they just like found IED after IED after IED, and they were waiting for EOD every single time. And I think we spent like forty-eight hours there, just like three of us trying to stay awake the whole time. And uh, I think it was like a F eighteen, like did like a show of force over the road and scared the crap out of me because it's an F eighteen coming at you like that low and that fast sounds just like artillery coming in on your position. I got, we got artillery already shot at us by accident on my first deployment. Yeah, yeah it was a shit. whole point of origin thing um, where they they had like I think it was like the Halo system. Basically, it was like a blanket radar and it showed where the the mortar rounds had entered the blanket and then exited, so they can determine where the point of origin, the point of origin, or the poo. And they had just done it twice, so we got mortared and then we got already super fun day oh, shit. um but the second deployment like, like i said it wasn't uh as eventful like there was like maybe like two or three firefights a couple of ieds 
uh, got mortared once or twice, like nothing super serious. Everybody came home alive. Um, but at that point in my career, we were just shy of our three year mark. And, uh, they were giving out big bonuses to the infantry at the time. So we weren't supposed to re-enlist until the next FY. And then Marine Corps wasn't meeting its mission. So the battalion commander made some phone calls or something, and they were like, hey, we're going to let all of you, if you want to, re-enlist right now, a little bit more than a year out from your EAS. But you're going to get this FY's year bonus money, which is the first and only time I ever got a bonus for re-enlisting. And uh, they were like, on top of it, if you choose to stay in a victory unit or victor unit or the infantry, whatever you want to say, we're going to give you an additional chunk of money to stay rather than go on to a B billet and, you know, be more competitive for promotion. So me and all of my buddies were like, all right, cool. Let's reenlist. And they're like, where do you want to go? And we're like, well, let's just all stay right here in three, five. We don't want to go anywhere. So we took the op four money. I got $61,500 tax free. And, uh, yeah, man. You know, How old were you yeah. right there? You were like, what, 21 ish? Yeah, something like that. Oh, man. That's uh, good yeah, money like, right then. Hell yeah. Like, like, you know, paid off the the wife's car, bought actual furniture, you know, got a yeah. TV, yeah. a plasma, a plasma TV. People don't <laughs> even know what plasma TVs are, but at the time, right? Back then, was a big yeah, deal. Big time. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and then put a bunch of money in the stock market. Um, lost almost all of it. <laughs> uh, housing market crashed. And like my my Roth IRAs went. <laughs> and I, I, I like got some statement in the mail and it was like, you have $5,000 left. I was like, I want my money back right now. I gave you 20000 I have 5000 now. Give it back. So pull that money out. At least you had a plasma. Yeah. yeah well, that thing burnt out. On my third deployment, <laughs> while I wasn't home, but yeah. but it was from Best Buy, so they had, there was the warranty, so they had replaced it with an updated version because they didn't make plasmas anymore or something like that. Um, yeah, uh, third deployment was a uh, was a Mew. Um, I, we were coming back from Fallujah for the second time, and the battalion had just done three pumps in a row to Fallujah, and the commandant was there speaking to us. Um, and someone raised their hand and said, like, and asked them, like, hey, are, are we going to get one of these, like, like Mew Libo floats everyone talks about? And he was like, yeah, you know, I think you are. So we went on a Mew in uh, 2008 or 2009. No, wait. Yeah, no. Yeah, 2008. Yeah, in 2008. 2008, one on a Mew. I think we came back in, like, 2009. Um, or something like that. I don't know. Anyways, Mew was a great time. It was legitimately just a Libo cruise. Um, you go train yeah. different countries or whatever, but we, Thailand, Philippines, uh, Korea, Australia, Japan, just, you know, training in Libo, training. All the places you hear Libo. really good stories about. 
all the good stories, all the ones you can't, (laughs) all the ones you can't talk about and thank Yeah, right. Thank thank goodness. Thank the gods that we did not have cell phones back then. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I um, yeah, I always say that all the time. (laughs) I I was was the incrimination would have been real. I was sitting in a particular uh, bar. And I remember seeing like my battalion commander. I saw my first sergeant, and I saw the first sergeant's clerk on stage doing some stuff with a person, and it was, it was bananas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, hear, I hear about the banana show. We've, you know what? Someone's yeah. actually talked about the banana show on here. So uh, it's, uh, it's not, it's not a good experience. It's not something you actually want to go see. It's like one of those. Yeah. I didn't hear like, puke when he explained the story. Like, I was like, hmm, my man. I, I, would, I, would, I would equate it to like smelling your friend's gym bag. You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like dudes. It's like it's a courtesy smell, right? <laughs> you're, you're, you're sharing an experience, good or bad. So your seniors <laughs> are like, oh, I've heard about this, you know, or, or like, you know, crusty older guys, staff and seals or whatever. You know, like if I had to see it, you got to see it too. So one of those deals, right? Um. Anyways, uh, we got back from the Mew, and, and all of us were starting to look at getting orders to SDAs, you know, you know, Correa wanted to be a drill instructor, this and that, and I wanted to be a combat instructor, you know, um, and uh, we were getting put in our packages, and then we heard that we were going to Afghanistan, and we all looked at each other again, and we're like, do we really want to go on an SDA? Because, like, our boots are all corporals and if we all leave at the same time because we all came to the battalion at the same time we all re-enlisted at the same time so if we all leave at the same time all of the combat experience sergeants and corporals mostly sergeants are all going to leave and they're going to be bringing in new sergeants from different battalions who don't know our marines who haven't been training as a team for the last you know, four years or whatnot. So why would we leave them now? So we had this like big get together uh, in the quad, I think it was like a Friday night or something like that. Um, uh, Tyler Setterfield came and, and played his album. I don't know if you've, Heard the EAS song by Tyler Siderfield on YouTube. If you haven't, go on YouTube, type in EAS song, Tyler Siderfield. I think he's going by like Tyler J now or something like that. But um, great song. Um, does he? Does he? He's. Does he do a lot of music? Yeah, he's no, he's, yeah. he's he's still doing music. I don't, he, I don't. He's not like a giant name or anything, you know. But uh, I mean. Mike we got Corrado. the gun room radio. We got the gun. We got the gun room radio, and uh, we're always yeah. looking for more people to add on to it. Oh, it's a veteran oh, t- artist station. Look, so if if you if Mike Corrado isn't on there, look him up. Um, he was my battalion commander at one point. Uh, he's a retired colonel, and and we would get like super weird ninety sixes because he'd be like, "Listen, everyone gets off at Thursday at noon. We're not coming back until Wednesday." We're like, "Why?" He's like, "Well, I gotta fly out and do a sound check. I'm opening up for somebody in in Nashville." He's like, My, "Get on YouTube Music or or Amazon Music or 
I'm definitely uh, whatever uh, Apple up. Music. This yep. Mike Corrado pops right up. Um, anyways, uh, like I was saying, we had a big get together, and I think all of us, except for like two guys, were like, "No, we're going to stay." Um, all of us lied to our wives. Everybody, we're like, "Oh no, they, they canceled our orders. We're not going. Like, we're, we got to stay." You know, um, that backfired later on in a really really bad way they found out that we chose to stay um but i i remember uh they had like a town hall meeting which was normal right like before deployment they invite the spouses um to uh to come and like the the chaplain and the uh key wives leader and the i think we had a fap at that point right the family family readiness program, right? Whatever person. Um, and they all talked to like the families. Uh, but I remember like Lieutenant Colonel Morris came in, uh, now General Morris at MCRD San Diego. And uh, he looked at all the families, looked at everyone in the eyes and said, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to give it to you straight. Not everyone's coming home from this one. Mm. He talked for a few more minutes, then he just walked out the back door, like chaplain's office out the back door, poof, gone. But I had never heard a battalion commander. I had I'd done three deployments already, and I had never heard a battalion commander walk up in front of the families and say, someone's yeah, going to die. Shit. Yeah. So at that point, we were like, maybe we should Google this Sangin Afghanistan thing we're going to go to because we had never heard of it. Um, the Brits were there when we got there. Uh, 3-7 was there already. They had like came up from Marja. They had sent some guys from Marja. Uh, a couple of my buddies, Campbell and Soto, who were previously 3-5, were, were already there um, with 7th Marines. And they were basically getting everything set up for us and integrating a little bit with, with the Brits. And then when we got there, we did a rip toe with the Brits where, you know, we started doing left seat, right seat, that kind of thing. And uh, we took over the AO. Uh, the Brits had basically bubbles that they had created that they didn't go outside of. And these bubbles were lined by white flags, which were Taliban flags. <sighs> and they also didn't go out at night. And we're like, what's the deal with the nighttime thing? Um, they explained that the guys there, basically, they had their area and the Taliban had their area. The Brits have their area, the Taliban has theirs. And nobody, they just don't mess with each other generally and things are fine. I was like, well, that's interesting because we're definitely not going to do that. So the guys that we were fighting and saying in Afghanistan, which by the way, most of which not Afghanis at all, most of them Pakistan. Um, anyways, um, they had had all these years to, to prepare. They would bury their IEDs at nighttime and then pour water over them. It'd be dry by the next day, so there's no disturbed earth. Uh, all the IEDs were like plastic jugs full of HME with a blasting cap, thin wire. And then metal wood 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 pressure plates or carbon rod pressure plates 
to like the the metal signature was like so minimal because they had watched us in Iraq when we like my first deployment we were using ice and blue greens and warlocks all these weird uh electronic countermeasures or ECMs, if you will, which I'm sure we all have great radiation poisoning because I sat on top of one uh, in the winter in the back of my high back and I was warm. It was great. I didn't know it was radiation. I thought it was warmth. Man. Anyways, oh, then <laughs> second, second deployment to Fluja, we got the chameleons, right? Like the big gumdrop things. We all got radiation burns on our hands because um, no one told us that we had to like turn it off and then lower the antenna, you know? So just like you'd have red hands all the time fun stuff so but the taliban had seen what we did in iraq so we went high tech they went low tech and so now instead of finding 155 shells and rice bags on the side of the road or hey you know what i left a pepsi can in that pothole last week it's been there for three weeks the pepsi can's gone someone dug in that pothole hey that culvert looks disturbed Hey, wasn't the curb missing last week? And now it's a new curb made out of styrofoam and like spray foam and with a 155 shell inside of it and spray paint to like camouflage it, like, like make yeah. it look like a sidewalk. It went to just like flat dirt. Can't find the IEDs with your metal detector at all. You're just relying heavily on your combat engineers and your point man. Brits leave and we immediately start expanding the AO rapidly <clears throat> and uh uh just um, guys started dying uh really quick and i mean it was legitimately every day every day somebody lost a limb or two limbs, or three, or four, or someone died. Um, we had 25 from the battalion die on that deployment. Yes. Um, and like I said, we had all been in the same battalion for all this time. Everybody knew everybody. There wasn't somebody, there wasn't a name on the list that came down that you didn't know who that guy was that you haven't had a beer with before. Everybody knew everybody. And uh, just, just said every day someone was losing a limb. I think we had like over 250 wounded, most of which were all amputees. You know, guys, guys are some pretty cool uh, prospects though. I mean, Robot hands, glass eyeballs that are custom with like a dark horse symbol or an EGA inside of it. You know, um, they go through some yeah. shit. They might as well have some cool shit, man. I mean, gosh, damn. Uh, I remember uh, the first the first guy that lost uh, legs in front of me on that deployment. I've seen people lose legs before, I've seen people die before, but like. Uh, Bill Maher lost his legs and uh, like middle of the night you know um, type thing uh, we were in a compound and but it, it was it was weird it was different because like the, the shrapnel from like a 155 shell or something like that or a mortar round that, that hits you that messes you up 
but like just a straight jug of, of HME, I don't, I don't know how it's different, but like he wasn't yelling. He wasn't screaming. He was completely calm. It's like his body hadn't recognized that, that he was missing his legs yet, even though he could see that they were missing, you know, um, doc ran up. I ran up you know, I threw a show about to call him, start got on the hook, start calling in the, uh, uh, nine line and uh, just telling Doc like, "Hey, you're like, like check, check my dick, make sure it's still there." Yeah, and Doc reaches in, pulls it out. He's like, "Oh, I knew you were." Uh, and then you know, words we don't say anymore. You know, but just yeah, you know, we like. I was like, "Man, like you're really gonna bust? You just lost your legs, and and you're busting a joke on Doc, making him check, make sure you still have a dick." All right, funny. All right. <laughs> um. Gosh. Yeah, and and you know, there's there's a handful of guys that that passed away. That there's hindsight, you know, twenty twenty type stuff. Like, you know, if they would have just double checked that tourniquet before they put it on a bird type thing, I don't want to throw a lot of names out there and stuff. But, um, yeah, it just it was uh it was not 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 great. Definitely, um, it wasn't like going back to Fallujah. It was it was a whole new rodeo. And uh, we'd be on, like, started doing like long range patrols, um, pushing, you know, further and further out. Um, it was right before Christmas. Uh, my mom had sent me this big bottle of Tapatio. Yeah, you know, it's it it just makes MREs bearable. You know, <laughs> love it. And uh, it's I think it was like a one liter Tapatio bottle. Tapatio makes a lot of things good. And it's glass. So we're going, and me and my boy Giles, we're going on this like like two or three day patrol. And uh, so, you know, we got our assault packs with us, like packing light, you know, just like poncho liner, because you, you don't take your gear off at nighttime, even if you're sleeping, you know. Um, just a poncho liner, like one or two MREs, um, whatever water you can, you can handle carrying, you know, light, light load. And uh, we were walking down an alley, and I remember like, I turned back, I looked, checked my six, and right as that happened, apparently some 12-year-old came running across the alleyway with an AK just doing a spray and pray. Yeah. And like three of the rounds went through my assault pack. Ah, oh, it, it fucking pissed me off so bad. I mean, after other things on my deployment didn't make me angry. But uh, that night, like, I open my assault pack and not only is my tapatio gone because the glass bottle has been shattered, but my poncho liner that was shoved in there now has like, you know, it's like a fucking when you fold up a paper and like make a snowflake, you know, yeah. you just opened it up and there was like a hundred holes in my poncho liner where the bullet had put the, the three rounds had passed through all the wrinkles and folds and it was covered in glass and hot sauce. I just remember how much that fucking sucked. Uh, like, oh yeah, my, my 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 one like comfort thing I have, my a poncho liner, is now Swiss cheese glass and hot sauce. Um, yeah, uh, I think then you know we started pushing out towards like the Wish Tan area, um, which was just an area we hadn't been. Uh, I think the Brits had had an OP out there before. At the time, we just didn't have the manpower to to hold that area, so we just left it. 
now we were going back. Um, there's a documentary on YouTube called Bomb Alley. I think it's like a two-parter. We had some Brit British uh, reporter attached to us. Um, yeah, did, he didn't didn't do us very well. Um, the story is actually not great for us, the way he presented it. Um, I had this like black neoprene mask that I had gotten in the mail from from uh, one of my family members because it was just so cold. Uh, so like my face is covered the whole time, which is great for the documentary or the, the YouTube video because my face isn't in it and my voice is. Um, but uh, anyways, it was, so we started pushing out into Wishtan uh, just after like right during the week of Christmas and, um, you know, moving east of the 611, which is the main MSR in Sangin, pushing out that way until this was a dense building is almost an urban environment just this like 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 the suburbs but just compact with like walls and whatever and at the same time we have engineers who are just bulldozing road bulldozing houses to make a road that goes to the end we're like we're not having this maze we're just gonna you ever see that 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 meme with the mouse that just like eats through all the walls to get to the cheese instead of doing the maze and it says like you have to read above it that's exactly what it was Every patrol we went on, we had APOBs or APOBs we had broken up into small ropes. We put blasting caps in the back of it, with like a 30 second fuse to like clear a small doorway and stuff rather than using the whole APOB. Um, like we'd had blocks of C4, like wall charges, just like pre built out the wazoo. Everyone had like four wall charges in their ruck. Like, like we never went, we, we stopped, we stopped going in doorways. It was like, we're going to blow through this wall, then we're going into that house. We're not going through the door. We blow up the side of the house. Go inside, because every entryway had an IED inside of it. I remember when we were pushing to the wish channel, we found IEDs in staircases, because they're all mud houses, you know. And crazy enough, they are also like thick enough to stop fifty cal rounds. Uh, but we we're, we're finding IEDs on rooftops now and on staircases because they're finding out that we're like moving from rooftop to rooftop. We're not going through regular doorways. They're putting IEDs in different places. They started using paper clips because they saw how our engineers would finger sweep lightly. So when you flick the piece of paper out from the, from the paper clip closed IED right there for the engineer, they got, they, they watched us and they, they did a, yeah, they, mm, yeah. Uh, we that when we pushed out into Wish Channel, we got hit by a pressure cooker IED, which is the first time I'd seen one of those out there. And we were in an alleyway, and phew, that thing, that thing rung my bell. Uh, a couple of guys got evacuated from that one, and uh, we eventually pushed out and got to where we were going. And then from there, we had set out some some OPs. I think the OP that I was going to was like OP Blue or something like that. Um, like early January, we had pushed out this OP, and um, at the time, um, you know, uh, 81's Ford Observer slash Fist Scene Leader, all that kind of fun stuff, you know, running out with every squad I want to go out with, you know, always being on the hook or getting up on a good rooftop, getting some good oversight, and I've had some really good fire missions 
uh my buddy giles has one video i want to get from him he just never seems to giles if you watch this podcast send me the freaking video man <laughs> just i got i i got a squad plus it was awesome and i got my first adjusting round made one adjustment fire for effect called for, for called for a repeat just des- it was great uh that was a good one um but I went to this OP to, to, to set up uh, on-call targets because he had to see over the whole the whole Wishtan Valley where, you know, it floods during the spring. And um, we were there for like three days. I just got there, and they just had a berm and a Connex box. And it was uh, a couple of the guys from 60s and, uh, and a machine gun squad to, like, you know, gunner, a gunner, and then like three, three or four mortarmen, all from Lehman Company. And uh, we got there, and I'm looking at this at this op, and we can this great area we can see out see out over everything. We can see into all these compounds, you know, see forever. But behind us, I'm like, there's a three story building right here, and there's a three story building right there. And there's dudes standing on top of it looking at us. We have no sea wire, we have no sandbags, no claymores, no overhead protection, nothing. We got a 60 millimeter mortar, no rounds. We got a 50 cal, no rounds, no tripod. We got a Mark, uh, a Mark 19 with a tripod, no ammo. Uh, we had a 240 with a tripod, and I think we had 100 rounds for it. And then mm. personals, just personal weapons. I'm like, dude, we're we are fucked. <laughs> so I, I'm on the hook. Like every night, we're doing log requests. I'm setting up a, a, a log request to the battalion. Like, hey, like we are out here with our ass in the wind. Like there are there are eight of us here. I need Sam. I'm not. I'm I'm the four observer. This isn't even my. This isn't even my shit. You know. I'm like, I want some seawire. I want, we need stuff. Like, bring us some seawire. Bring us some claymores. Bring us some trip flares. Bring us some sandbags. Like, we we got nothing right now. And on top of it, we don't even have the high ground. We got dudes standing on top of houses watching us all day. So, a little backstory that I found out later uh, from a friend of mine who was in our battalion for Fallujah and then went to be counter Intel like het, you know, and was with us on that deployment. Uh, he gave me the, the download on what was going on during those three days is uh, one of the commanders had a meeting with some uh, local members and they were like, Hey, that OP can see into everyone's um, house and everyone's courtyard and our wives can't be unburkered or whatnot. I'm sorry if that offends anybody. I'm trying to, I don't know what the exact wording is for that, but they basically had to be in full guard because the Americans can see into their, into their backyard. Yeah. And they said, that if you don't take the OP down, we're going to kill everybody there. And the CO didn't take it very seriously. Um, you know, whatever level of commander it was that was at the meeting not throwing out names or ranks or anything, right? Um, I don't know if that CO knew like what level of 
non-fortification that we had at that position. Uh, so like the sun was going down and uh, I remember I went into like a little Connex box that we, that, that we had like, there was like two cots in there. So we could like rotate sleeping and being awake. And I was, I was uh, going to put a warming layer on. So I took my plate carrier off, put on my grid fleece and then put my, my, uh, my blouse back on, put my plate carrier back on. I didn't hear anything. I saw these beams of light, like coming through the conic box. And then like the sound hit me and it was just a fucking firefight. It was going nuts. We were getting ambushed from the high ground. They had a maneuver element coming down the alley. They had another element that was coming up the burn. They were throwing, they started throwing, um, uh, RPG heads over the wall that uh, were like rigs to go off like hand grenades. Um, it was, uh, it was not, it was not a good time. That was, uh, took a minute for QRF to, to be quick. It definitely wasn't quick that day. Um, man. And they pulled all of us off the OP put like a squad plus the Marines there and fortified the crap out of it. Meanwhile, like they just like crucified us. Like there was allegations that we had like made the whole thing up and, and like, like Wilson got shot in the head. Ed got shot in the ass. Like, what do you think we like, we, there's seven, six, two holes all through our Connex box. Like there's, there's holes in the ground where, all these grenades. What are you? What are you talking about? Like, I mean, it was just insane. I didn't understand at all. What the man? What the fuck? And then, so they just start sending us out on these missions. The eight of us, just like long range, no corpsman, just like fucking suicide missions. Just like, hey, maybe if we send them out there long enough, they'll just die while we investigate them. Uh, you know. Investigation got done not until we were back in the States. And they were like, oh, yeah, you guys are good. Like Reyes had taken the uh, the summary court-martial they offered him, which is basically a court-martial without a court-martial. And they busted him down to corporal. You know, all the rest of us were like, screw you. Like, I'm not writing a statement. Like, give me a real court-martial. Like, I'm not, I'm not playing this game with you. We didn't do anything wrong. You know, he... He took the summary court martial because he felt responsible because he's the senior sergeant and it was his company, his platoon. And he felt like it was his fault. Even though the company Gunny wasn't bringing us out, it wasn't like nobody was doing anything to support the position. We got back to the States and uh, the investigation got done finally. Uh, and they had, you know, this clearness. They're like, you're good. Like, you guys are fine. Our bad. Sorry about all that. You know, but before that happened, like, we were just, yeah. Uh, me and Reyes stopped taking cover during firefights. We're just like, fuck it. Like, our careers are over. Why even be alive anymore? Let's just stand here and shoot, run, shoot back. I'm not going to run for cover. Let's just fuck it. Um, we had this balloon camera thing. It was like a big blimp with a camera on it um it was like so high def like you could look at a guy from like 10 clicks away and zoom in and tell the co what brand of cigarette he was smoking Damn. um 
but uh, Master Guns Tegredo, um was the Battalion Master Guns at the time. Before that, before that, before that, before that, like he was in a weapons company. Like he was a platoon sergeant. He was my company guns. You know, he was the the company master sergeant uh, or uh, the company gunny, battalion ops, whatever. And and I think he was a master at the time. Became a master guns later, but master gun Segredo was uh, watching me and Reyes on camera, like in a firefight, and uh, came and got me. And he was just like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Like he's known me my whole career, you know. He's like, "You're being reckless." You, you what, what, what the fuck? And I was like, "I don't care." Like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I'm being investigated for this bullshit and whatever. Like, I, I don't give a fuck. Like, I, I'm, I'm ready to go. Like, let me, let me, just let me go fucking die. And uh, he was like, "Yeah, now I'm pulling you back to weapons company. Pulling back to weapons company. Put me back with the uh, with with eighty ones." For like a week or two. Uh, uh, Gunny Harvey, one of our platoon sergeant, Master Guns Harvey, he just retired. Uh, that man uh, walked in on me. I was in a room. Um, yeah, he stopped me from, uh, from painting the room with uh my brains mm. i was i was just i was ready to to go i didn't want to be alive anymore um uh yeah um so we had a nice long talk about some things and and i, I think maybe I, he he talked me down from a ledge um but at the same time, like they, the rest of the eighty ones really weren't really weren't going outside the wire. You know, they they had their fobs and they were just covered, you know, launching eighty ones and one twenties everywhere. They weren't, they were going out, just not like we were. And uh, I just remember telling them, like, like just every step, like you never know what step is your last step before you're just gonna fucking die. You know, we we tried and mark our trails and and like step in the other guy's footprints and things like that, but just one misstep and the legs are gone. And Parker lost both of his legs and most of his fingers, and we were breaking contact. And he'd stop, turn, took a knee, and opened up with a saw and took his knee on the same place everyone else had stepped. He was just heavier and bigger, and took off his legs and his hands or just the fingers that. He has his palms, and he has like three fingers on each hand. Um, yeah. Then uh, moving back to headquarters, me and tried to off myself again. Uh, Doc Bowers talked me down. Great Corman, he's a chief now. He's over on the gym. He was an instructor at uh, Field Med for a while. He's a awesome really really good corpsman um uh but then so they they were like hey we're doing this long range operation out in this malmond area we're gonna find a bunch of ied caches and heroin all kinds of good stuff you're going bye so um 
you know, upon this like Advon detail that went out like a week early and just like started observing the area, figuring out like, you know, anchor points, who's in charge, all that kind of combat hunter fun stuff and getting the layout for uh, 81s and Keel Company to move in, 81s for support, Keel Company to sweep the town, and, you know, got some some good air controls in there, dropped some bombs and some good stuff, good good operation. I think it's Operation Golden Shillelagh, which I, I don't know what a shillelagh is. Anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, you look at like like 3-5 Sangin uh, on YouTube. There's like a two-part documentary thing that the battalion put together. Like It's on my TikTok page, so that's cool. Um, or most of it. Um, yeah, so uh, we, we eventually just like got home from deployment. And uh, we were the first battalion to be put on a psych hold. Nobody could leave. Um, they thought that if we kept everyone together for a while, that we'd be able to like recuperate and reintegrate into society a little bit better. Because instead of just coming home from combat and leaving your unit, you're staying together as a team and getting evaluated psychologically. Um, and I mean, that helps some, um, some people just start, you know, jumping in the, in the bottle, that kind of thing. Um, I had decided that when I came home from Afghanistan, that I wasn't going to drink or smoke anymore. Um, hindsight, I, I started eating my feelings. Like I got fat, didn't even notice it, you know, um, I was eating so much food. It was insane. Uh, I was like getting up in the morning and eating like 12 eggs and like bacon and waffles, then going to PT and then like eating a bunch of food off the food trucks on Pendleton are legit as fuck. Um, <laughs> and I was just eating all day, like huge meals, so much yogurt and spaghetti. It was just insane. I didn't, you know, I got orders to be a combat instructor because Sergeant Major Bushway was like, hey, like all of my sergeants, come here. We're all going to SOI together. So we're I want he's like, I want a sergeant in every company in in the regiment. Like I want full eyes and ears control over the whole thing. We're like, all right, cool. Combat instructors. Awesome. Let's go. Um, which was good because everywhere you looked, there was a brother, you know, someone that had just been on the same deployment as you. They were all floating around the same area, which I think really helped. That and you know, I, I stopped drinking. Um, I would put my alphas on and check into SOI, and I was like, I don't fit into my alphas. What happened? And my buddy's like, Yeah, you've been getting kind of fat, man. I was like, <laughs> You don't want to say anything? You didn't tell mm-hmm. me? Like, they're like, Well, oh, you're just kind of eating a lot. I'm like, Shit, I'm eating my feelings. Cool. So I get through combat instructor school, you know, I think academically, I was like number two or three in my class. And I had orders to Alpha Company, but it was like me and Grimes both had orders to Alpha Company, and we're both originally Mormon by trade. And the first sergeant there, he was like, I only need one Mormon. One of you has to go to MCT. And Grimes is like, hey, no offense, first sergeant, but I'm a sniper, and I'm going to teach at sniper school in one month when this other guy leaves sniper school. So if you send me to MCT... Marine Combat Training Battalion, uh, then you won't be losing your mortar instructor. 
And he was like, I don't think you understand. I'm the boss. We're like, okay. So he kept the sniper and sent me to MCT where I went. And I was like, three of my best friends were already there. I was like, oh, cool. Box company, right? Which I really, I felt like shunned at first. I was like, I'm supposed to be training grunts. And now I'm going to train pogues? Like, what the fuck? And it really changed my point of view on the whole grunt poke thing. Like, completely changed it. Um, I invested every ounce of energy I had into my students. Uh, look at my award. I think I trained over like 5,000 Marines. I, I did 20 cycles as a, as a combat instructor at Marine Combat Training. I never went on quota. I never went and taught at the IG or went and worked at the range. I just, I just pushed through. And our excuse was, um, well, he's getting a break. He's going to go to advanced mortar leaders, and then he's going to go to sergeant's course, which he hasn't been to, back to back. And that'll be his break. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, so that was my break. And then my, my new first sergeant had just taken over who was a gunny before in Fox company, who was my junior. He, we call it BIPT, um, battalion indoctrinational program. The, that is not a word you'll ever hear on SOI anymore. Um, but basically his first cycle, he was under me and we became really good friends. And now he was the company first sergeant. And he was like, Hey, you got orders to headquarters. And I was like, I thought I wasn't doing that. He's like, you're not. I was like, all right, cool. He's like, I'm the new first sergeant. I canceled the orders. Uh, you can go on a 96 or you can get out to the range because uh, they're doing fire maneuver today. I was like, all right. I had my gear in my trunk. I jumped out of my Charlies, threw on my camis, grabbed my plate carrier, went out to the range, started running the range. And when headquarters was like, where, where, where is he? Um, like, oh, he's, he's around the range. He's gone. Find him. You guys keep this other guy that we didn't want back because he was, uh, he wasn't a good dude, you know? He's the kind of guy that would see something and say something instead of take care of it in a flat black kind of community kind of way, if you know what I mean? In house. Yeah, we didn't want him back. Yeah. Someone carved rat into the gas mm -hmm. tank of his, of his motorcycle, but like all the way through the tank, so didn't hold gas anymore. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, he got a couple of us investigated for allegedly doing this or allegedly doing that. You know, um, I know a couple of couple com company gunnies that have had their uh, vehicles uh, fucked up. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but I I fucking loved being a combat instructor. I there is I you could be having the worst day. And you could sit down with a room full of privates and be like, hey, ask me questions. And just shoot the shit with them for like 30 or 40 minutes and just feel better. You're serving a, pur you're serving a purpose. You're making sure these Marines are trained. You're making sure that they're, they're capable of surviving in combat. Um, I loved it. If there was an option for career combat instructor, I would have stayed. I would have never left. I would have just pushed cycles the whole time i loved it i uh i had seven honor platoons in a row um so for like a, over a year straight owned that shit 
um, after that, they like broke up my team to like spread load and like teach everybody what they were doing. And they're like, actually, you know, like, you know, he's kind of messed up. Like he does everything. Like he's here when they wake up and he's here way past the time to go to bed. He micromanages everything. Like if you're on his team and you're on duty, you ain't got to do shit because he's going to do everything. I completely neglected uh, my home life. Um, I was just burying myself in work because it made me happy. Um, I also had to go to like some PTSD therapy for a little bit there, um, but it was interfering with training and captain somebody uh, said that it was inconvenient for me to go to therapy. So I stopped um, and just buried myself in work. I was with my students 24 seven. Kept busy, like, kept busy. Get yourself busy, busy all the time. Yeah. Um, and then like, even in between cycles, if we had a big break, like I would go volunteer at AITB to help teach it at Memorial leaders or uh, combat hunter or something like that. Um, or like help run ranges for different companies. Like I just, I spent three years at SLI. And when I say that, I meant like, I know ne- I like almost never went home. Um, I even moved my family from like the south end of Pendleton up to the north end to be closer to work um, just so there would be an opportunity for me to come home more often and it, it didn't change anything. Um, yeah, so, but left SOI and uh, <clears throat> um, at the time they were like, oh, there's this, there's, I, I had a reputation um, for like being the, the, the guy, you know, because I was always there and I never left. So they're like, Hey, just ask him. He'll take care of everything. Um, but I spoke to, uh, a mentor of mine, uh, a gunner and he's like, you still want to be a gunner, right? I'm like, yeah, I still want to be a gunner. I was like, okay. He's like, well, you've had all these billets. You've done all these things. He's like, I recommend you go get some time in LAR. I was like, okay, LAR. Why? And he was like, well, if you're going to be the person that's in charge of, um, you know, advising the battalion commander on all troops and weapons employment on the battlefield, you should know about all of them, not just read about them in a book, but have actual experience. And he was like, LAR companies get attached to battalion landing teams. I was like, okay. So I went to LAR. And then they were like, you need to go to the East Coast. So I was like, all right, second LAR. So I went to second Light Armor Reconnaissance Battalion. Um, where every weapons platoon had a 0369 infantry unit leader that was the platoon commander. They didn't have because weapons platoons were not actually initially part of their TO. So there wasn't enough lieutenants to go around. So the 0369 was the platoon commander, which was cool. Um, but so I went on deployment, like we got there showed up mid workup, jumped in. Um, Sergeant major pulled me aside before I like during check-in and was like, Hey, your platoons had 23 NJPs in 11 months. Uh, her, you can fix things. Uh, a lieutenant or a captain from SOI had just come from second LAR and was like, Hey, here's your, here's your boy. So I got like the trouble platoon and man, these boys were wild. Um, but they just needed a leader they could trust. Like somebody that like 
actually stuck to their word that said, you know, you get done early, you go home early type thing. Um, somebody that had their back. And they figured that out pretty quick. And uh, they shaped up real fast. And they understood that, like, what I say goes. And you are a reflection of me. And if you like me being the way that I am, then you better behave yourself. And we also got rid of some trash that was in the platoon. Just like, hey, you're going to a different company. Bye. You're not making on deployment. We're tra we traded you for somebody else or just dropping you. Bye. Uh, which is cool. About <laughs> LAR, you could do that. You could swap people around because they're deploying as companies. So I think uh, it was 2-6 first or 3-6. I think it was 2-6 first. Like, we immediately attached to 2-6, went on a mu. Um. Yeah, went to some countries, you know, did some stuff, training, whatever, this and that, and then uh, I knew that the next company, because I was with Delta Company at the time, Charlie Company was going out next, and they were going with three six, and I I like having a four J on my shoulder, you know. I also knew at the time that like. One of the O369s back at the battalion, at LAR battalion, uh, was on Limdu. And another one was on like permanent medical hold because he had cancer. Um, so I reached back to, to Sergeant Major, Sergeant Major Bond, and I'm like, hey, like, I know a trolley company is pushing out and they don't have an O369. I will go. I'll come home Advon, even leave Advon. But in exchange, when I come back, like, I get to go to whatever school I want to go to. He's like, all right, done deal. So, uh, pumped out with 3-6, um, did some uh, support stuff in Syria, you know, stuff like that. Um, came home. Um Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got got back from that deployment. Um, it's kind of a weird time. Um, like, I knew I was getting a divorce during that deployment. Like, you know, but like the whole legal separation thing didn't work if you were deployed. Like, didn't, time didn't count or something, or I don't know. Um, uh, my brother-in-law committed suicide like the day I came home from deployment. I don't think it was like related. It just like happened, timed out that way. You know, um, and I, at that point in time, like I think it was, as, it had become so normal to hear about one of your boys in 3-5 killing themselves that it didn't even phase you anymore. It was just like, okay, you know, that sucks. And when it was someone you were really close to, like it hit you hard, but uh, just like, yeah, it just, it just, it, at that point in time, it hit me. And because, uh, because I was going through like a divorce, you know, uh, Master Gun Segredo, my, my mentor, was the monitor at the time. And, uh, he sent me to, uh, DPC RSU East which is where I first started to work with reservists. So DPC RSU is Deployment Processing Command East. They mobilize and demobilize all the reservists that augment active duty units and individual augments, all that kind of fun stuff. 
you know, you could be on deployment and have reservists and you don't even know it. They're just in there. Um, uh, but that was like my first time in my career. Like I was a staff sergeant. I was selected for gunny and things slowed down. Like I wasn't on a deployment rotation anymore. There was no TEEP. There was no next cycle. There was no students. Like this was the first time in my entire career where like I ha I got to be a person like going home and sleeping and eating and being around human beings that were life. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause I had been in an all male environment my entire career. Yeah. SY West at the time, all male environment, infantry battalions, all male environment. Right. What are we doing? Working up and then we're deploying. Then what are we doing? Working up and we're deploying. So it, and then combat instructor, same thing. Like you just next cycle, next cycle, next cycle. So it was the first time in my in like my adult life that like time became real. Um and I just started reflecting and looking on things and like all my friends had killed themselves and I had realized that I don't think other other than a few guys that had killed themselves like right when we got back. Like nobody, nobody had killed themselves because, because they, they were dealing with demons that were in their head. They were reliving moments. They killed themselves because they were alone. Mm. They, they had, they had, they weren't in the battalion anymore. They weren't surrounded by their brothers. Right. They, they, they moved back home to Texas or California or Wisconsin or whatever. And and to be close to family and no one there understood what, what they were going through. And then something would happen. Something it's like, you're already standing on the edge of a cliff and something else just comes along and just nudges you over the edge. Um, your, your, your spouse is leaving you. Um, your girlfriend dumped you, your boyfriend dumped you, whatever. Um, you know, your, your ex-wife took away your ability to see your kid. So you shot yourself in the face with a shotgun, you know, um, it's dealing just, with a lot of failures that, uh, in the Marine Corps, you know, we're not used to having, we, just, you know, just, every I, mission we got to accomplish it. And, you know, failure is hard, dude. And then when you start feeling like you're failing, some of these guys don't have anybody else to go to when they feel like they're failing. Well, I mean, that's what the Marine Corps does best, especially infantry, is shame. The fear yeah. of failure will drive you to succeed. Correct. You don't want to be, you don't want to be the, the NCO that comes back from infantry unit leaders course, the staff sergeant that comes back from IULC, and you didn't you didn't make it, you didn't make the cut, you didn't make it through the first day. You know, um, you don't want to be the guy that comes back from advanced mortars or advanced machine guns or whatever because you're shamed. You're garbage yeah. now. You're 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 yeah. cancer. You failed. So the fear of failure will drive you because we shame. We, we, we do. Um, but you know, you, you go home and, or, or you know, the, the, they just, they didn't have a support. They didn't have a proper support structure. We didn't have a network. There wasn't people checking in on each other. There's it just, and even then, you know, a phone call isn't the same as just sitting next to somebody. It's being in the same room. You don't even gotta talk. Just be there. Yep. Um, 
and then but somebody else pushes you over the edge. Um, a handful of my friends kill themselves even while they're still active duty. You know, something happens. Their their wife is leaving them. You know, or or uh, about a year ago. Around this time, June, so like May, like one of my best friends, uh, shot himself. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. We had, we had, we had both became gunnies at the same time, and we're, we're troublemakers together since we were fucking PSEs. Yeah. Uh. Something had happened at work, you know. Something had happened at uh, at SOIE, and the command was going to burn him for it. And he was like, "Well, my life's done." It's a shame feeling. Yeah, yeah. Is is his entire adult life? He has spent his entire adult life as a marine. And it was all just being taken away from him. You know? Mm. And I'm I'm in the same boat right now. Um, you know? Um, <sighs> I got my last set of orders, um, basically, you know? Um, got orders down to... All right, so I don't say this on TikTok, so here you go, everybody. Uh, Marine Marine Corps Air Station Buford, MCAS Buford, South Carolina, just just across the street from Paris Island. And uh, so, like, hey, you're going here. And I was like, what am I going to do? And they're like, we don't know. I'm like, you're the monitor. You don't know. He's like, nope, we don't. But it's an air station. So you should have plenty of time to go to doctor's appointments and like get your shit together before you retire. I was like, cool. So I get down to South Carolina and like find the place. And uh, there was the the previous guy that was in my seat, like medically retired early. Um, so they had a civilian running the shop and one sergeant. What do we do here? Like, oh, you're responsible for all the pre-live fire and live fire training for the entire base. I was like, and we do it with two people? And they're like, yeah, kind of. I'm like, that's great. Um, So stepped in, took over. The civilian left. And then started looking at my TO. Realized I was short a bunch of dudes. Started making phone calls, making FAPs come in, calling monitors, getting people back in. Um, Got it up and running. Started running a TEEP, a schedule for the entire base rather than letting them sporadically try to schedule their own training. You know, like, hey, no, we're going to have a range, like two ranges a month. We're doing this, we're doing that. We're working with Paris Island, you know, and just got it kicking and running, you know. Um, you know, uh, got, a, got a second divorce, you know, getting ready to retire because I decided that I was done. Um, like mentally and physically, I'm exhausted. Uh, I can't, I just, I can't anymore. I'm fucking done. I'm burnt the fuck out. 
everything hurts. I can't hear anything. Um, I finally went and got hearing aids. Uh, I went and got, I was like, hey, I got a bunch of TBIs. And they're like, mm, we'll do a scan. So they do an MRI on my brain, whatever. And they're like, oh, you have so many traumatic brain injuries that we can't really determine how many you've had. How many times have you been unconscious? I'm like, um, I don't know, like three or four. And they're like, mm, well, how do you know? And I was like, well, because I was in one place and I woke up another. And they're like, well, you can't be conscious of the fact that you were unconscious. So if you were unconscious and then woke up in the same spot, then how do you know you were unconscious? And I was like, well, I guess that's a really good point. They're like, look at your brain. These are all the areas where your brain has made contact with your skull. We can't count them because they're all... It's like the whole thing is messed up. They're like, we're actually really surprised that you're a functioning adult. And I'm like, well, actually, I kind of struggle with some stuff. Like, sometimes I get lost on the way home. So I use a GPS every day and this and this and this. Started going through a list of stuff. And they put me on, on Adderall as a stimulant to help my brain just, like, keep kicking. Uh, they put me on Xanax because uh, I didn't know what a panic attack was. Um. I thought it was just something that happened to me sometimes. And I was losing my mind. And they were like, oh, no, um, that's called a panic attack. I was like, oh, that happens. And they're like, well, what, what triggers it? I'm like, you, you never know. It's just something. Um, and uh, uh, people call them episodes or whatever. And it's part of PTSD, but it's not like. It's not this like glorified, weird PTSD that Hollywood pushes down everyone's throat. You're not having a flashback and you think you're back in Afghanistan or Iraq. No, like everything, like you're, again, all you can hear is your tinnitus. You know, all you can hear is ringing. Your hands start to shake, your heart's beating out of your chest, you can't breathe. And you just like everything starts going dark and you pull inwards and you can't move and you can't talk and, and now I know what that feels, even when it's, it's starting. Now that I know what I'm, what I'm, what's happening, I can, I can recognize I'm starting to have a panic attack, and I can take some medication to, like, stop it. It's not immediate. It takes a little bit, but it stops it. And I can take one every morning as a preventative, as long as nothing, like, triggers me. And it doesn't even have to be, like, a song or a smell or a noise. It can just be an event because you're so stressed the fuck out all the time that the smallest thing just sets it off. Um, they're like, you got neurological damage, which is why you don't feel your fingers. You know, like, um, I cut a chunk of my thumb off earlier this year, and then I cut the uh, through my finger recently to see camera area through my index finger. Um, like you don't feel your fingers. I'm like, well, I kind of feel them. I mean, just not all the time. Like I'll get cuts on my body and I don't know what happened. And my girl would be like, Hey, you know, you're bleeding, right? I'm like, Oh crap. I am. What happened? I have no idea. Um, so, you know, PTSD, neurological, problems, depression, TBIs, memory loss issues, um, hearing loss, constant sinus. All my hearing aids are fantastic. They produce like this countertone so the ringing stops. Um, at nighttime, 
I listen to Pink Noise while I sleep pretty loudly to drown out the sinus because it just rings so loud. I keep a red light on in the room, like a little red light. Kind of reminds me of being on ship. So if I get up in the middle of the night, I can still see around the room. Um, but yeah, so I'm just hanging out at my retirement station. Like, hey, I'm going to retire here. I'm denying my, I'm like, Somehow I ended up in zone for master sergeant. Like I did the math. I thought like, mm, yeah, yeah, I, I might be like, like in the zone, like the year I retire or like the year before or like, eh. and I ended up being from no zone to the top of the zone for master sergeant. I was like, fuck. So, um, made sure that wrote the board was like, hey, I'm not reenlisting. Do not promote me. I am not. You know, reenlisting, getting promoted, and PCSing. My sergeant major was like, "Hey, just reenlist, take the promotion, drop papers, anyways." I'm like, "Yeah, but if I extend my contract, I'll have more time on it, and they will move me, and I don't want to move. Like, I am done. Like, you don't understand. Like, I am not going back to an infantry. I'm not going back to another unit. Period. Like, I am staying right here. I am done." And uh, that's it. Got divorced. My first divorce was like so amicable. Like we were like best friends, like from junior high. You know, we had been married forever. We both wanted a divorce because I only cared about work and I never saw her ever, ever. Second divorce, that, whew, now I know what everyone's talking about. Anyways, so she blows up my CO's phone and is like, he committed adultery. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, by the way, he takes anabolic steroids. In like early 2021, uh, my, psych- my psychiatrist is looking at everything. He's like, you know, I think you have low testosterone, which is uh, causing a lot of these problems. So they sent me to get tested. I drive like all the way to Charleston to see this endocrinologist. And he's like, yep, like you have the testosterone of like a 70 year old man. I'm like, but I'm in shape. I, you know, I work out. He's like, yeah, but it's like, how long does it take you to recover? How tired are you? How irritable are you? Like, how's your sex life? Do you even care about sex anymore? Like all this stuff. I'm like, holy shit. Okay, cool. That makes sense. And he's like, so first we're going to remove this gynecomastia. I'm like, what's that? He's like, that. And I was like, because I had this like, fat around my, my chest area. Because I had gotten fat before I became a combat instructor. My first cycle, I lost 47 pounds. Thank you, Sergeant Major DeLeon, for making sure that, <laughs> that happened in 27 days. Sheesh. Um, <sighs> he was like... He was like, I just got this new combat instructor. Like, he's smart. He's fast, but he's fat. How's this happen? And he was like, make him unfat. And they did it. Um, but I thought it was just like this fat that would never go away. Like, it was like hard fat. Like, I tried to get rid of it. Like, it was just like, you can't target an area. You know, you just monitor your caloric intake and, you know, be in a deficit, blah, 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 blah macros, this and that. And he was like, no. He was like, that's breast tissue. He was like, you're testosterone is so low that your estrogen 
is affecting your body. We're like, all right, cool. He's like, we're going to get that cut out. And then we're putting you, well, I'm going to recommend to your PCM that you start testosterone therapy. I'm like, all right, got it. So I go back, see my PCM. Like, hey, here's the thing from the guy, from the uh, endocrinologist. Like, I need this surgery to get this stuff removed. And then I need testosterone therapy. And uh, the doctor that I had at the time, the doctor, um, he had completed a residence or uh, what? Do you, uh, inter- inter- what's the first year of a doctor? Um, internship or whatever, right? Their first year. And then they do a second year as like a resident and then they're like a doctor, doctor, right? Well, he did his first year as like an intern or whatever and then joined the Navy to become a flight surgeon. So now he's my doctor. He's never even, he's a doctor and I'm older than he is. Yeah. And he's terrified of me. Or he was. <laughs> he's, out, he's out of the Navy now. Like he was uncomfortable being in the same room as me. Um, but he was like, yeah, no, I don't want to give you testosterone therapy. I'm like, why not? I'm like the endocrinologist said I need it. And he's like, well, he's like, well, it could, it could give you prostate cancer. You know, there's a chance of this or that or whatever. I'm like, do you think I give a fuck about prostate cancer? Like, yeah, like, like I was in Fallujah when we were testing ECMs, electronic countermeasures. I thought that I was warm from like warmth off a vehicle when it was radiation. Like, like you, we had man pack ECMs in Afghanistan where we had to trade them off every day because we would have such bad migraines. Like, you think that I'm worried about prostate cancer? Do you know how many burn pits I've been living next to for the last X amount of years, just breathing in all kinds of shit? Like oil, fuel, radio batteries, back before they were rechargeable, we just threw them in the burn pit. 119 batteries, burn pit. You know? And I just breathe that in. Like, you think I really care? You think you think prostate cancer is going to kill me? Like, Doc, I'm not making it to 60. Like, you ain't got to worry about that stuff. Give me my medicine because I'm going to lose. I'm going to kill myself. I didn't say those exact words, but that's how I felt. Like I was depressed. I was irritable. Like everything fucking sucked. Nothing was right. Um, and he was just like, yeah, no hard pass. I'm like, man, that's been like six months going through this process, you know? And no. To my psychiatrist, I'm like, yeah, he said no. I'm like, will you prescribe it to me? He's like, well, it's like, it's like, I can, but I'm really not supposed to, you know. This is your PCM said no. My psychiatrist is a civilian, but he works at the naval hospital. I'm like, what do I do? Like, I don't know, maybe we can get tested again and, and, and do it again. I'm like, we're just gonna get the same test, the same endocrinologist. He's the only one out here, there's one dude. He's got two offices, one in Charleston and one in Bluffton, one guy. So, uh, you know, I do some bodybuilder friends type thing, you know, powerlifters, that stuff. You know, I'm like, hey, like, I want to have testosterone I can take. And it's like, explain to me how this whole thing works. And I had a gym bro and he was like, well, take this and this and just do like this much. And this is how it works. And this is this and kind of explained everything. And I was like, okay, hold on. Stop talking science like just dumb it down what do i do and he was like 
this, 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 this. Okay, cool. Wrote it all down. <laughs> Got it. Done. And started self-medicating testosterone therapy. Um, yeah. Um, and then I found out, uh, I want to say like in 2022, um, a buddy of mine, a former corpsman of mine, was the CMC command master chief at the hospital in Buford. And uh, I kind of like talked to him a little bit about it because I mean, my psychiatrist knew what I was doing. You know, a couple of my other doctors knew what I was doing because, you know, doc hopping won't say yes to it. And uh, so my boy's like, hey, you know, you can just get that from a regular doctor, right? Like, what do you mean? He's like, you can just go to a doctor. You have to pay them money because TRICARE is not going to cover it. But just look up a men's health clinic. Go there. Like, get off of the shit you're taking. Go there. Have them run your blood work or show them the blood work. Here's your blood work from last year. Here you go. Go see him. So I went to a men's health clinic. Bam. Cool. Done. And they're like, actually, same dosage. Different stuff, but basically the same dosage is going to do the same thing. You're not going to feel any different. I was like, all right, sweet. And legitimately, I didn't. I never felt a change in between what I was taking before and taking the testosterone that I get now or the, the stuff I get now is like at subdermal. Like you just, it's a little tiny needle just goes right under your skin and quick rather than like a one and a half, two incher like into your butt muscle, you know? Um, so I'm like, great. And uh, it went and told Nurse Watson, you know, and she Put it on my milk record. Here you go. Here's the doctor faxed over the stuff. Like, yep. You're not breaking the rule. You're you're seeing a doctor. You know, it's it's legal. It's in your milk record now. So just anytime blood work has to be done or doses changes, like we need copies. Like, got it. Well, right at the same time, uh my ex wife, who is still uh we're going through the, the battle of the, you know, the bad stuff. And, you know, we're, we're actually, we're actually on really good terms now, you know, but it's, uh, there was just a time where like, she wanted me to die. I would right. do anything to destroy me in my career. Yeah. So, uh, uh you know, she goes, uh, she makes some phone calls cause she's, she was uh, dating a certain sergeant major that doesn't like me and this and that. And anyways, she ends up at CID and whatever. And, you know, they're like, Hey, we want to get up to my battalion, you know, cause well, if you know anything, never, ever, ever write a statement and never accept NJP. Anyways. So I go, go up to headquarters and they're like, Hey, why don't you take your analysis? I'm like, for what? You know, CID just told me that I'm I was I'm being accused of, of selling cocaine. So I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about because they like to make like a big thing to scare you to get you to admit to a small thing. And I was like, oh, go pound sand, bro. Um, and they're like, oh no, we just want to test you for illegal steroids. I'm like, oh okay, cool, yeah, sure. It's on my milk record, by the way. Like I take testosterone. Asterisk Watson, go check it. But yeah, I'll pee in the cup for you. Pee in the cup. And the stuff I was taking previously, which like I had looked up 
and talk to my doctors about it. And they're like, yeah, like it should be out of your system. It wasn't. Mm. So I popped, popped up. I'm like, fuck. All right, cool. Um, so they're like, hey, we're going to give you a board. Recommending you get, you know, OTH, other than honorable. I'm like, all right, cool. Whatever. So uh, hold tight. Try and stay positive the whole time, you know. Uh, go through the whole board process. And, and they're like, nope, we're recommending a general under honorable conditions discharge. Just like a general discharge. So, like, you get all your benefits. Just don't retire and pay. Go fuck yourself. You're out early. And then my Jag's like, hey, bro, like, we're going to ask you for the slower clemency, like, asking, you know, the base colonel to, like, just say, hey, like, look at, like, there's the testimony from the doctors. Like, he legitimately needed this stuff. He was denied treatment. You know, the stuff he was taking, it wasn't the right stuff, but it did the same thing as the right stuff. It was just what he got his hands on. You know, and he found the right way to do it. And then even now, and now I'm getting that same medicine from TRICARE because they sent me back to the endocrinologist and tested me again. And he was like, here's your prescription. I was like, got a new PCM. I got a new doctor who was like, oh, yeah, you definitely need this. I'm like, all right, great, cool. So uh, the colonel had just signed it and it went up. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, dude committed adultery and took illegal drugs. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I took I took testosterone or anabolic steroids, if you will, because even the testosterone I take now is considered an anabolic steroid. To to balance out my hormone levels, like I was losing my mind. You look at like if a, if a woman gets all of her hysterectomy, right? Take it out. And they gotta be on hormone therapy to regulate their brain, their body, because you need that for that. You know, uh, same thing happens to a guy when when he has overexposure to cortisol, which is what your brain produces when you're in stressful environments. So, like, I don't know, you spend a lot of time in combat and you're stressed out all the time. You're constantly exposing yourself to, to cortisol every time you got knocked around. Every TBI you have messes up your brain, your brain chemistry, your body is telling you what to do. Like all these things are contributing factors to to having low testosterone. Like I was I was losing my shit. And it fixed it. And then I found it from a doctor. And then now I'm getting it from my naval hospital or giving it to me. Like, I don't understand. And then the, they're like, oh, well, these committed adultery. I'm like, no, I was legally separated. And they're like, well, there's no legal separation in South Carolina. I'm like, well, if you look at my divorce papers, it has a legal separation date that was signed by a judge. And it says June 9th. And, uh, oh, I also filed that at IPAC. So IPAC knew that I was separated or legally separated from my spouse. On June 9th, it was filed well ahead of time. And the board, you know, it's, you know, three dudes that don't know you, that are from your base, and I'm on an air wing station, and, you know, it's just a little di- the culture is a little different on the air wing. Um, anyways, um, they're like, yeah, general under honorable conditions. 
and they're like, hold on, like the colonel's probably gonna give you clemency, just hang in there. He's like, he's got us, like anybody looks at this is gonna go like, he's good. You know, the guy's, the guy's been on the top of the Christmas tree on every fit rep ever. Like he's, a, he's does an outstanding job. He's never had bad paperwork. He's been promoted ahead of his peers. Like this dude is fucking, he's good to go. Like no way, no way he's going to do it. And then I found out on the 15th that he had signed the paper on the 9th of this year, in June. Um, so what's, what's the age? It's June what? 20th. Yeah. So yeah, so I found it like five days ago. Um, he signed it and it went up. And I'm like, all right, great, cool. Now what? It's going to go to Mickey East. It's going to go somewhere else and then somewhere else. And then it's going to go to the assistant commandant and then it's going to go to the commandant. So like you got four to six months. So like tomorrow morning, got another meeting with the TRS lady um, to start seeing what I can do about benefits upon discharge because I don't have an actual EAS date. You know, I'm getting kicked out. All I'm going to have is my 100% disability. And like I, my, my, my JAG, who's awesome, wrote this letter of like requesting clemency. And he was like, look, man, like in, and they didn't say it in those words. It says it in very nice professional right, words. Yeah. But he's like, you're cutting, if he lives to the average life expectancy, you're taking $2 million away from him. Do you think that that's adequate to what he did? Like he self-medicated with testosterone when you have how many, like, I know guys get like DUIs that get kicked out and busted down, but how many of the guys that are sergeant majors right now, master guns, that kind of thing, like, oh yeah, everybody drinks and drives, DUIs, this and that, whatever. Maybe they sexually assaulted somebody and it was just swept under the rug because there wasn't a system for it yet. You know, there are guys, I wasn't doing meth, I'm not doing heroin, you know, like, geez, heroin. How many of my friends got? hooked on pills from the VA and ended up on anyways, that's a whole nother. You want to oh, talk yeah. about, you want to talk about the, 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 the whole Pfizer having a non-addictive label and the DOD buying into it. And then the VA just throwing it at people. And then my boy is being hooked on heroin and now they're off of themselves or whatever. Like Parker is my one buddy that recovered. He's my only friend I know that's recovered from heroin. But anyways, back to, the thing but i wasn't i wasn't doing those things i wasn't abusing a drug i wasn't getting high i was regulating my hormones so i wouldn't kill myself that's it i was just preventing suicide anyways so yeah now i'm not three to six months until it hits the commandant's desk um, I mean, anywhere in that process, somebody could like turn it around and say, nope, retain him. Like, um, I would be dropping papers in five months to retire. Like I'm Damn. this close. Yeah. You know? Lee, man. All this and shit you're you've like, done and been through yeah. for this country too, bro. Like Lord. I'm so like my knees, my back my neck, my brain. I, I don't remember. I get lost on the way home from work. I got to use a GPS to get home every day, just in case I come to a moment where I'm like, oh shit, where am I? 
I. It's it, you uh, know it's kind of sad to me, man. I mean, you have dedicated your life to the core. Uh, a lot of people fucking can't do four years, let alone twenty plus, right? Yeah, but and, like, you know, and here's the that. thing, man. Yeah. Here's the thing. I feel like I've heard a couple. I mean, I've heard of a couple higher up, like sergeant majors, getting pushed out, no retirement because. Yeah, I feel like at the end of your time, they're trying to find any fucking reason not to pay you a pension. Two million dollars? Shit, man. I don't know if they're trying not to pay me a pension, but it's just like the Marine Corps culture. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Here's this. This is a Google. Fuck these guys that gave me 20 plus years. Just look at that. Look up 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, Sergeant Major Edwards. Look him up. He's worth a Google. He embezzled like hundreds of thousands of dollars of battalion funds and had hundreds of thousands of working hours where he was supposed to be at work, logged at casinos. But gambling is an addiction. So he was just forced retired. He was allowed to retire, even though he had stolen money from everybody because he had a disease. It was an addiction, he was addicted to gambling. Like, okay, cool. Like, I, I didn't do anything wrong, really. Like, I understand that what I did was against the rules. But my doctors knew about it. You know? Fuck They even adjusted my dosage. Like, actually, just take, like, this much. You know? Fuck it. You're addicted to anabolic steroids now. Fuck it. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, but, call so, it an addiction, but, man. Fuck. But then... Getting it from a legitimate doctor. Once I found out, I was actually allowed to do that. And then now, getting it now, I got now I got a new doctor. I have a new PCM who's actually a doctor, like an actual, like a real life doctor, like that that did his whole like his whole training and schooling. Like he's a real doctor, and he was like, "Yeah, you need this. Here you go, bro." And for them to be like, "Yeah, no, nah, you're out of here, man." Um, so. Wow. I mean, so now you got to fight. Now you got to fight in front of you, huh? I mean, oh, well, I don't even know if I have a fight in front of me. Um, I talked to a messy military lawyer, and she was like, "Army, Air Force, you'd fine, you'd be good." He's like, "Marine Corps, different culture." She's like, "I don't know." Was, unless someone in the chain of command, because even the prosecutor at my board agreed in writing. With the clemency request, he was like, "Yeah, you should let this guy stay in and retire. Like he's as close as let him stay. Like, like he didn't he didn't kill anybody. He didn't rape anybody. He didn't he didn't like burn down a village. He didn't smoke crack. He's not doing fentanyl. He's he's he didn't he's go in and steal things. from one of his people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like 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 he had sex with somebody after he was legally separated, which is well documented in legal documents and at IPAC. You know." And yeah, he took anabolic steroids, but then he was also getting it from a doctor before the charges even happened, before whatever. It was just still in his system. And then now we're, we're giving it to him. The DOD is like, here's your testosterone you need. So even even the, the, the prosecutor or the government or the whatever you want, wherever their position is called, is like, yeah, grant him clemency. But the colonel was just like, mm, nah, sent it up. So I imagine probably, let's see, we're on 96 for, for Juneteenth. So Wednesday morning, I, mean, I imagine it's probably sitting 
at Mickey East with Sergeant Major Nico and the the general up there. And, you know, so if somebody between there and there, between them and the commandant is like, yeah, no, retain, we're good. We're good. I'm good. I'll make it. Make cross my finish line. But I just think it's unlikely. And uh, I don't know. It's just, it's weird having like your entire, they're like, oh, hey, vet bros make their whole personality about this. But when I'm looking at it now, I'm like, this has been my whole adult life. My entire adult life, I've been a United States Marine. Yeah. And now, and now you're just going to snatch it away from me because I wanted to not kill myself. I wanted to not be one of the 22. You know, when dudes, when dudes commit suicide, I'm telling you, it's not always just PTSD. It's another factor. It's the command. Yeah. Livelihoods are being threatened. You know, there's, there's even, it, it, there's a TikTok on my thing. It has very low views because TikTok really doesn't like to push anything that has to do with mental health anymore. No. But there's, it's, it's screenshots. Of, they do a suicide study every year. And 2021, the leading cause of suicide, suicides in the Marine Corps are Marines that have PTSD and are having issues with either their spouse or their command. It's the combination of PTSD and then the external factor, whether it's the command or the spouse, one of the two. Yeah. And I'm just really trying to fucking hold it together. And I'm staying as busy as possible. I am building a lot of furniture because if I can just hyper focus on building a table or a fancy dog kennel or, or in tables or a bed or whatever, like I spend all my time like buying lumber and epoxy and sanding and cutting. It's just, it's the only thing that keeps me like level. And then going to work to to just be like all right i'm here i'm not doing anything cool just waiting to see when i get my 10-day letter where they're like hey you have 10 days to get the fuck off base you're just going through the Um, motions kind of right now yeah yeah so man that's rough man i'm sorry to hear that shit dude because my gosh bro uh listening to your story and then this is how it ends, you know. I I I got to think though. There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way, man. I I, 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 so. I try to I, stay I mean, positive the, and think that yeah, like the whole, there's somebody in the chain of command that's going to have like the common sense and go, oh okay, like somebody. But at the same time, the more I think about it, and I don't want to like tear anybody down, but like everyone up there is older than me, and they may not think the same way I do. They, they don't see the Marine Corps the way that that I see the Marine Corps. And I don't see the Marine Corps the, the same way a sergeant or a corporal sees the Marine Corps right now. Everyone has a different point of view. It's a different generation. Everything, yeah, like, everything, sure. Things are changing. Regulations are changing, you know? You know, like 2021, I couldn't get testosterone therapy. 2022, I can. 2023, <laughs> pick that one. Yeah, whatever. Wow, that's crazy, but, man. Um, <clears throat> but uh, July of 
2022, July 16th, um, 988 went nationwide, which is the suicide prevention hotline. You can call or text 988. And there was already a prevention hotline there. It was already there. But it was this long phone number that nobody knew. Now it's just 988. And that came out like right after uh, after uh, Corey killed himself. I love it. The Marine Corps is just like, hot. Oh, it's PTSD. You don't want to mention that, that his command was also about to burn him at the stake? Whatever. Um, but just right after he had done that and, and, uh, it came out and I was like, people need to know about this. And like the day, the day it came out, I was in my, my battalion commander, the squadron commander's office because I'm in, in the air, right? Squadron. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, pilot. uh, so um i was like hey 988 goes live he's like what's that i told him and like nobody knows about it so i just start pushing it really hard on TikTok because i already had a bit of a following there and i've just been trying to push it harder and harder and harder like like if i gotta stare at the person that i call for sexual assault or this or that or whoever this person is if i have to look at their face every time i'm saying in front of a urinal like why am i not looking at like hey this is the suicide prevention hotline it's nationwide anybody can use it you know 24 7 like why is it not being pushed um why is it in every safety brief every weekend so i've just been doing my best to make sure people know about it um because it's a good resource you can even text it and they go like hey if you're a veteran or active duty here's another number click on this and text that and you're going to get a different you're going to get directed to more um unique form of help you're going to get someone on the line that has a more of an understanding than just like some random civilian who's talking you down um Yeah, so that's like the whole 988 is greater than 22. That's why there's worlds of chaos, gunny.com and shirts and stickers and coffee mugs and whatever. And it's all based around creating an awareness of like, hey, look, like it's better to call and get help than it is to become a statistic. And 22 isn't even the real number. It's higher. Because if it's alcohol related, it's not suicide. A lot of different things they don't classify it as suicide. So even like when uh, guys do things and purposely kill themselves in car accidents and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm just hanging tight and trying to stay positive in the hopes that someone somewhere turns it all around. Um, uh, but if they don't, um, uh, my current wife, the woman I refer to as my wife, uh, we've been together for a year. You know, we're not married in the eyes of the government, um, but um, 
Um, she is a she is a mental health specialist. She is a master degree, Rutgers University, top of her class therapist, and uh, she uh, she keeps an eye on me and she keeps me pretty level headed. Um, I got meds now, which. I mean, it's whatever. Um, I'm really hoping that when I do retire, because I'm going to move to Washington State where I have family, and not just family, but oh yeah, you have si- way my, better. Uh, my sisters, my sisters a marine. You know, um, my uh, every every certain. My last name is Futural. I don't say that on TikTok. Um, Futural. Fox Uniform Tango Romeo Echo Lima Lima. Google it. Is the youngest German boy in the Revolutionary War. My family has fought in every major American engagement since before America was America. Fact. Fucking fact. So I'm going to go home to Washington where a majority of my family is. And a lot of it's kind of scattered because some people, my family just were like, oh, I'm retiring from this base or that base. I'm just going to stay here and be a GS. But most of us are in Washington State, so moving home to be around them um, because they are also service members. They are also OIF veterans. They are also EOF veterans, uh, enduring freedom, Iraqi freedom, inherent resolve, whatever. And I got boys there too that uh, you know are from 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 three five. We we saw the worship together, and they're right there in Seattle and Tacoma and Lakewood. So I'm going to be around brothers and I'm going to be around family and support. And I want to switch from all of the Xanax and Lexapro and all these other fun pills that I get to take all day. And just because so many of my friends are like, dude, it's weed, man. Yep. Like a little bit, a little bit of weed and you can, you can jump off these pills. Oh you're yeah. Not be, you're not going to be foggy during the day. You're not going to have this problem or that problem. All the, all the fun side effects that come with the don't kill yourself pills. They're like weed fixes it, man. It's good. Like you're not high all the time. You're not a stoner. It's like chill. So that may be sooner than later. Who knows? The only difference is, is that I'll be getting my hundred percent disability. It was just no retirement because, uh, I didn't make it to the finish line. Fuck. So fuck it. Either way, I can't work. Like, I can have my 100% disability and can't work. So it's like, okay, cool. So I can have 100% disability, but I, I, I literally can't make over a certain dollar amount um, or I lose that money. Okay. But I don't have a pension. I don't have a retirement. So what now? So now you're going to go get yourself uh, uh, Social Security. Well, yeah, but other disability. Than that, I, I just that. Got, yeah, uh, combat related service pay, but but even then, like it doesn't like I've done the math. I've sat down. My one of my best friends is a VSO, and he's done my stuff. He's like, "This is your dollar amount you're getting when you when you get out. This is going to be your disability pay with Social Security and whatever." And mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, "I'm pretty sure I can't live off that." But hey. Fuck it. Who cares? Man, 
Not That's my kernel. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little, a little bitter about it right now. Uh, when I initially got the news, it was just like, I was just devastated, and I've had a few days of the process, and I'm starting to make plans and planning for the worst, hoping for the best, and knowing that the best probably won't happen. So, wow. That's just crazy, yeah. man, that you've, gosh, damn, you get that far and then just for everything to not, you know, I just, God, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even, couldn't even fathom it, man. I, 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 I gosh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I just, this is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Man, well, I'll be, literally- uh, Nothing I can do about it, but sit back and cross my fingers and call a friend here or there that knows somebody and be like, hey, can you like nudge them and put in a good word or something? Like can somebody can can somebody stand up with some common sense and and be like he wasn't doing crack or heroin or smoking weed or like he was legitimately just regulating his hormones. Right. So he could be level. Yeah. Like I wasn't violent. I wasn't aggressive. I wasn't anything. I was just like chill as fuck. Like I always am. Hmm. But whatever. Man, it's rough. I'm sorry to hear that, yeah. man. Is there anything else that uh, Gunny wants to talk about, man? Is there anything else out there that you want to share with us or any last words? Last words, huh? That's a good one. Um, <laughs> just uh, make sure you're checking on your boys. Like, yeah, heard from heard from him or her in a while. You know, check it on your battle buddies. Give them a call. Make sure they're doing okay. You know, sometimes you might have to get on an airplane and fly to Chicago and get your buddy and get Ed and. and Get out of a homeless shelter and take care of them. Who knows? Um, I've, I'll do anything for my brothers. So um, check on them. Make sure they're good. Make sure your Marines know about your service members. Make sure everyone knows about 988. It's it's so simple that if there's in a spot and they don't have anyone to talk to, because a lot of a lot of people don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. Like, I want the shame of, of calling my friend and be like, I'm thinking about offing myself. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe some people have someone they trust enough to call and make that phone call. You know, if your command finds out you're thinking about doing it, you know, you're going to be locked up real quick in a psych ward. So I need is an option. It's there. Somebody is going to get on the phone and they're going to talk to you and they're going to tell you it's okay. And they're going to, they're going to walk you through it and they're going to help you and encourage you to get the help that you need, get the help that you need. Who cares? You know how long I went without getting help? Like my captain, when I was at SOI West said it was inconvenient. So I stopped going. And then when I was a platoon commander attached to two with second LAR with two, six and three, six, and we're doing all this stuff. And I, my only thought was, you know what? I can't, I can't go get help. If I get help, how are they, they're going to have all these questions. Like, like, do you need this medication? You know, can you do your job? 
are you going to lose your shit? Because everyone watches Hollywood and they think that's what PTSD is. And they're like, what if you can't go to therapy and we're on deployment? What are you going to do? You know? So you don't get help because you're scared your commander is going to lose faith and confidence in, the, in you. You know? How are you, how are you going to go out and lead your Marines into combat if you're messed up? So you just don't get help. And then when you finally do, you know, you just go get the help you need. Do it now. Yeah. Don't. Who cares? What other people think of you is none of your business. So, like, who cares? No. Go get go get your help. Like, General Neller was the first commandant that got up, stood, stood in front of a camera, stood on a stage, and, like, started talking about mental health. I'm sure the commandants following have at some point, but I just General Neller hit hard. He hit hard. He, he hit home. Hit home. Fucking General Neller. Um, go get the help you need. Check on your brothers and sisters. Make sure that they're not in a bad place. If they are in a bad place. Help them. And at the very least, make sure that they know that 988 is out there. You know. I can go to worldsokayasgunny.com and like buy some stickers, throw on a locker at your gym, um, grab a t-shirt, wear it to the gym, wear it wherever. Someone's going to ask you what it means and they're going to be like, oh, well, 988 is this mental health crisis suicide prevention hotline. You can call or text and well, 22 refers to the 22 service members a day that kill themselves. So it's better to get the help that you need than it is to end up a statistic. So, you know, check it out. Spread the spread the knowledge. Make sure everybody knows about it because not enough people know about it. It's crazy. That's right. Yep. I mean, uh, that's why I try to post it on the show as much as I can. And uh, we are trying to get that word out there that there is something out there for everybody. I mean, if you don't want to talk to someone you know, there's a number you can call. And I've actually exactly. I've actually saw a story uh, from a gentleman that called and reached out to 988. He got an overwhelming amount of support and help from not just the community, but a lot of people. So it was really touching yeah. to see that uh, it helped. You know, so it's it's, it's a real resource. It's it really federally is. funded. And you don't have to be a service member. It's literally for anybody in America. And I don't know. Remember, we were kids, you know, and we're in school, and the firemen would come and talk to you about 911 and stop, drop, and roll, and like, you know, like crawling below the smoke and feeling the hot. Like, those are things we learned in school. Now, you can't go into elementary school and talk about killing yourself. You know what I mean? Right. But like 98 should be something that's, that, that's being um, at least high school. Like, hey guys, yeah. like there's this line, you know? And service members, if, if you even care a little bit about your brothers and sisters that are killing themselves every day, spread a little bit of awareness. That's it. Yep. Yeah. What time is it? Oh, it's nineteen thirty here. Oh, yeah. I guess I should probably go like eat dinner and 
<laughs> see my see my girl get, and get, stuff. get to the life yeah well hey i yeah. appreciate you taking the Sounds time to down. come on tell your stories tell everything you're going through man you really shared some uh really tough stuff but it's really important to share this kind of stuff because you never know who can learn from it who can you know get something from this so i appreciate you taking your time coming on and sharing it all with all of us Mm. just one quick last thing yep like just sorry um no nope. but like and I, I i know that i'm not the only person because i spoke to a lot of my friends but like the the things that haunt you the things that, that haunt me from from saying in afghanistan one of the bloodiest battles is the korean war it's it's not the things that we did it wasn't it wasn't pulling triggers. It wasn't getting ambushed. It wasn't IEDs. The the, the things that uh, haunt me are, are the are the things that I could have done and didn't do or didn't see that that caused someone to lose their life. It's it's that guilt as a leader that you failed. Like so, someone's dead because you failed them as a leader and not necessarily I know it's not really your fault but like you feel like it is and um it if you've never put a marine in a body back you just don't understand and um this anniversary dates sneak up on you you may not even realize uh what day it is you know, until you turn on Facebook and and you're reminded, like, oh, Tani died today. Ramirez died today. Why? Why it died uh, the day before his son was born? Actually, because because of the time difference, he probably actually died around the same time his son was born. Can you imagine having to tell? Tell his wife that. Um, yeah, no, it's guilt. The PTSD, the things that haunt you aren't the things you did or saw. It's the, uh, it's the guilt. And somehow, whatever happened, you could have mitigated if you had just done something different. So not all PTSD is your Hollywood persona bullshit. Just guilt and shame and depression. So fuck off Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm good before uh, this gets any worse. Nah, man, I really appreciate you. Like I said, I have a lot of much, uh, much respect and love for you. Uh, you're a fucking brother to me, Semper Fi brother. And uh, anytime you ever need a brother, man, I'm always here just to, you got my number. Yeah, man, you got my number this too. Is, this is more than just a podcast, bro. So uh, it's a brothership too, man. And, you know, I'm always here for you. So have a I good one, brother. It. And uh, thank you so much, Gunny. I appreciate you, man. And uh, just hold tight and we'll make sure we got our recording. And uh, All right. fucking Semper Fi, brother. Kill. Kill, kill.
All right, friends and fam, that wraps up another great interview. Uh, if you guys have an opportunity, go check out Worlds Okay's Gunny. He is a great guy. He's you can find him on TikTok. He's got Facebook and he's got a you know website going. Uh, go out there, check out his stuff that he's got. You know, and it's all going for a good cause. So please, you know, check it out and uh, appreciate each and every one of you guys checking this out and watching each and every time. And, uh, you know, if you guys can like it, share it, that could help it out. Appreciate you guys so much. Until next time. Urgh.